Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain, where each episode we'll sit down with entrepreneurs, investors, and industry veterans to discuss innovation, technology, and the most exciting opportunities in trucking and logistics as we build the future of supply chain together. Be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Now, let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey, welcome back, listeners. Uh, you have Santosh here from Dynamo, and uh, it is my pleasure uh, to have uh, one of our very own portfolio uh, companies with us, and uh, Diane Lansinger, co-founder, CEO of SIVA. Hey, Diane, thanks for joining us. Hey, Santosh, thanks, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I take it uh, you are joining us from Seattle uh, today, that- is that right? That is correct. Yeah, our headquarters are, is based in Seattle. Awesome. And um, I will also add that you spend not an insignificant amount of time in Detroit and uh, as a virtue also shuttling between the two locations. But uh, yeah. we'll jump into that shortly. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, uh, what, what is the Diane Lansinger story? Uh, you know, uh, what is the background here? How did you get into this world of automotive and, and building a startup uh, in the AV space? Yeah, if you had asked me three years ago if I would be doing this, I would say, what are you talking about? Yeah, so um, so I am a Detroit born and bred girl. I grew up in Detroit. I'm the daughter of an automotive engineer. Our dinner conversations always revolved around engineering and entrepreneurship. That's another thing that runs in our family. Um, and and design and I early on in my career went the design route ended up switching into entrepreneurship launched two other companies and then how I landed in the automotive space is my dad when he retired uh, from the uh, car manufacturer that he worked at for many decades he had developed this system in retirement that he had gotten patented just as a passion project and had done this pilot production run of it and had launched this component in market. And it ended up taking off more than he expected. It was this uh, washer fluid heater system and it got picked up by, uh, by Navistar. They ended up buying out uh, pretty much the entire uh, pilot production run. And he called me and my dad is um, not, not one who really enjoys the business side of things. He's this very gifted, innovative inventor type and, has a couple dozen patents to his name. And, and he said, honey, I'm not really sure what to do with this. And your mom's going to kill me if I make the wrong choice. But it looks like we've got this market for this thing that I developed. And, and, and you have some experience starting companies. And, you know, what do you think I should do? And so I said, well, you know, I'm happy to help out. I'd already been doing some contract review. And we, we would talk on a weekly basis about being an entrepreneur and, you know, getting ideas in the market. And so I started attending these meetings with uh, with people, vendors that he had been working with. And I realized that the team around him was not was not really the team that that I would necessarily want to uh, bring this product to market. Um, and then in the, my dad in these meetings kept mentioning all these other technologies that he had developed that were similar to to this system, different ways of applying the technology that he had developed. And and I said, after a week or so, I said, Dad, can you just walk me through your whole IP portfolio and and give me a better understanding of what exactly you've been doing in your retirement? And he got so excited. He's like, oh, honey, I've always thought I should have encouraged you to be an engineer. And 
and I never knew that you were really so into cars. And I was like, well, I'm really interested in business opportunities. And so he walked me through. <laughs> so he walked me through like four different hold in your hand, minimally viable prototypes of different ways that he had developed to, to clean windshields with heated washer fluid and, and, uh, and a few other technologies that he had in his back pocket. And, and I took a step back and uh, prior to, I, prior to launching my first company, I had worked at Microsoft there in technical recruiting and I built out recruiting businesses to support over 300 different engineering organizations. And so I kind of come from the world of ones and zeros. And I looked at these technologies and I said, you know, dad, if we wrap some ones and zeros, some software around these and get them to interoperate in some way, I actually think you probably have some kind of self-driving car technology and he's like oh honey you know i'm retired and that'll probably happen but i don't know if i'll be around for that and sure maybe in 10 or 15 years and and i was like oh my gosh i'm pretty sure we can start a company around your ip portfolio and we could probably go raise around a venture capital if we get into a good accelerator program and my honey's like what are you talking about <laughs> so so i <laughs> So he's like, he didn't even know what an accelerator program was. And he's like, oh, venture. I don't know anything about that. And, and I said, okay, well, I'm actually going to shut down. At that time, I was uh, in the process of trying to pivot my second company, which had nothing to do with automotive. It was a consumer goods company. And, and I said, I think my pivot is actually going to be, I want to convince you to form a company with me. Um, let's go ahead and wrap a company around this IP portfolio that you've developed and see how far we can get in the next three or four months. And and he's like, okay, sounds good. Um, so that was how we developed uh, what became the company known as SIVA. We took uh, these uh, prototypes that my dad had developed and had found an initial OEM customer for. Um, and we just started pounding the pavement. We started doing parking lot demos to some of the big car manufacturers and getting feedback uh, from them, which was uh, early, but still I think very positive. And it helped me just gauge whether or not this was a viable opportunity to, to grow a business further. And we ended up applying to Techstars Mobility, which is uh, I think the top, uh, top startup in the mobility and automotive space based in Detroit. Uh, my dad and I moved to Detroit together. Uh, we lived there for three months together, which was pretty hilarious. <laughs> Um, and then from there, we ended up actually meeting you, Santosh. You were one of the mentors who came through that program, as you as you know. Um, and that ended up being our first foray into really saying, okay, we're going to uh, grow beyond bootstrapping and get a couple other people behind us and, and take this thing, see how far we can actually make it. So, so that whole thing started uh, about two years ago. We did the accelerator program about a year ago. And then earlier this year, 2018, we closed our first uh, round of Seed Venture, which uh, Dynamo is um, one of our shareholders now, which is very exciting. And, and yeah, and I'm now the, you know, the founder of an automotive company, so. Yeah, and uh, has, have done that uh, with your dad, nonetheless, too, uh, yes. which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad, yeah, my dad and I, we've always had a very, very positive, uh, you know, wonderful relationship. My dad's a very, very creative, supportive guy, you know, supportive father. Um, and but it's really been this, uh, this wonderful reinvigoration of our relationship. He really had no idea, kind of what I had done with my career up to that point. <laughs> you know, because I, you know, our family, we have 
we have engineering, we have entrepreneurship, and we have design. And I had kind of taken the entrepreneurship and the design and run with that and other parts of my career, uh, more on the business side, and had never really gotten involved in the engineering side directly. Um, and so it was it was just exciting for him to suddenly bring all these skills that I had developed over time to to what was this kernel of an idea that that he had had. And, and then he's such a great counterpart for me in terms of how he looks at, uh, at market opportunities on, out there and how do you create products to fulfill to fulfill these needs. So yeah, so we formed a company together and he's now a strategic advisor for a period of time. I had him as my chief engineer. We now have a wonderful chief technology officer who's leading our engineering R&D efforts who's joined since we closed our round. But my dad is still still involved. He still participates in engineering meetings and is still one of our technical advisors. And, and yeah, it's just been a great, great experience to, to launch this together. That's awesome. So digging into SIVA, uh, you touched on it a few times, but uh, help us understand what your first product is and, and how uh, it helps improve uh, perception and visibility for automotive. Sure. Yeah. So the first product that, that we've brought to market is a new version of the, the technology that my dad had patented and brought to market in pilot while in, when he was retired. This is an LLC that he had formed and just done on his own. We created a, a more sophisticated, efficient version of that. It's called the C-Therm system. And what this is, is a mechanical only washer fluid heater system that runs off of waste heat coming off of the engine coolant line as the coolant exits the engine and is nice and hot after trapping that heat from the engine. And then uh, in our patented system, that, that engine coolant passes uh, within very close proximity of the washer fluid coming just directly out of the washer pump, standard washer fluid, uh, and does this uh, natural heat transfer. And then that washer fluid can get directed to whatever would be the standard ways that they would exit the vehicle coming out of nozzles or a targeted uh, nozzle at, you know, pointed at a backup camera, for example. Um, and that's the core now of other systems that we have in development. The, the, the idea behind the Sebatherm system was I grew up, as I mentioned before, in the Detroit area. And my dad, while he was uh, working uh, working in the automotive industry during the main part of his career, he would just hate how we would get up for, you know, five or six months out of the year and there would be frost or snow or freezing rain collected on our cars. We could never park our cars in our garage because there was always some engineering project going on in our garage. <laughs> it was like our home lab. Um, and yeah, so he just hated this this fact that you know you couldn't you couldn't get out out on the road quickly, and he would obsess about ways to clean windshields and help drivers see better on the road and get on the road faster without having to blast your your HVAC system in your car. And that ended up becoming the Sevatherm system. What's really interesting about the Sevatherm system and what really set off a light bulb for me was. Uh, when you think about self-driving cars, and you mentioned Santosh, perception enablement. So the way cars see today is very much driver-driven. Of course, you know you have to be able to see uh, on the road in order to make wise driving decisions. And now with the advanced driver assistance systems, with backup cameras, and um, you know automatic cruise con cruise control, and lane change warning, and 
all of these sensors and cameras that you're starting to see on more modern vehicles today, it's all about enhancing the driver's perception using more advanced technology, cameras, LIDAR, different types of sensors. And then where self-driving cars are heading is eventually that driver becomes less and less a part of the equation. The challenge with driving today is as we try to take the human out of the equation, you know, we need to be able to do this in a way that the cameras and LIDAR and other types of sensors can be efficient and reliable. And the reason why we're really trying to kind of limit the amount of driver perception in that driving equation is because there are over, there are almost 40,000 fatalities a year uh, by driver, caused by driver error. Uh, and yeah. that's like the, you know, everyone's heard the statistic of it. That's like the equivalent of a 747 flying, you know, falling out of the sky once a week. Um, and, and really we need to, we need to find ways to help try, help drivers eventually become so fully assisted that they're only there for, for invention purposes. And that's what we're now developing now is this uh, core technology that my dad developed. We're developing this automated system that will not only heat washer fluid in a couple of different ways, but also then distribute that fluid to the, the perception hardware surfaces on the vehicle to keep them physically clean so that when they ever become blocked by freezing rain or snow or ice or, you know, even warm weather conditions like dirt or grime or bugs or mud, you know, these self-driving cars, they need to not have human intervention while they're in transit, you need to make sure that they've got maximum uptime all the time and, and right. you don't have to stop it to clean off the perception system. So um, a, a, a myth or, or preconceived notion we always uh, run into, or, or not always, but oftentimes run into is that, you know, shouldn't software be able to write the obstruction away for the perception system? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, help us understand that because I think it's important for people to realize that uh, because we're dealing with a physical problem, we also need these physical solutions. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that is uh, probably one of the most exciting to me reasons why SIVA exists as a company. Having come from the software engineering industry myself, I have a very strong knowledge of what software can and cannot do. The problem with software is it is it's only one form of engineering, right? It, 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 you can't out-engineer mother nature in these types of situations. You, you, might have, you might be able to predict where weather is happening, but to actually have software somehow solve for a bug, you know, smashing into a, a front camera that's helping avoid a, a collision for a vehicle, there's just, there's just no way that you can really have software in a cost-effective way help solve for that. And when you think about the data funnel in a car, when you have perception systems that are that are parsing the data from their external environment and they're taking that data and driving it to the operating system of the vehicle and and the vehicle is going to be doing you know, making these driving decisions based on that, that perception stack and that data funnel literally starts on the physical exterior envelope of the vehicle. It's that service envelope of the vehicle, the very front end of these hardware perception systems, cameras, LIDAR, other types of sensors. If it's physically blocked by some kind of, uh, you know, climate-based uh, uh, condition, there's no way that it's going to actually be able to see the data in order to 
take in enough in order to drive the decision making that the systems are going to have to do. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's literally like in software, we talk a lot about uh, garbage in, garbage out. That's like one of the basic engineering premises of software engineering. And if you don't have good data coming in or you don't have enough data coming into this software system, it's not going to be able to make you know, trustworthy, reliable, safe, scalable decisions for what the vehicles need to do when a driver is not the one, when a human driver is not the one actually operating the vehicle. Right. And uh, with that, so you, you walked us through how perception in automotive in and of itself has changed. So we started off yeah. where humans were uh, essentially the ideas, they were the, the, the party taking all the inputs and then generating an output. And we're now slowly, as we march towards autonomy, there's this new concept, or, or rather there's a concept, it's not necessarily new, of, of ADAS. So cruise control, lane guidance, blind spot detection. And um, SIVA is actually relevant right now as well as, you know, in a future world of autonomy. But, you know, how does SIVA interact with the current uh, ADAS systems that are on the market today? Yeah. Okay. So, so if we're, if it's a autonomous vehicle system or an ADAS system, the technologies that we have in development now, we enable those hardware perception stacks, regardless of, you know, whether it's an autonomous vehicle system or an advanced driver assistance system, you have the same problems with ADAS as you would have with a, you know, level three, four or five autonomous vehicle where these hardware perception stacks, they just, they simply cannot be as trustworthy as you need them to be. You know, a great example of this is uh, one of our teammates here has a 2017 uh, brand new vehicle that is fully equipped with all the, uh, all the ADAS bells and whistles that you can imagine. And he was driving this car through his first uh, uh, cold, cold climate season in Detroit uh, earlier this year, and he ended up getting this alert while he was on the highway. He gets this little yellow alert on his dashboard saying that his uh, automatic cruise control and his lane change war warning have been disabled based on one of the sensors being blocked or a couple of the sensors being blocked. And this little yellow alert is actually the <laughs> this outline of a hand. It has this outline of a black hand on it and it's actually signaling him, the human driver, to basically pull over and wipe off the hardware, <laughs> which, <laughs> so, so he pulled over and took a picture of this. <laughs> And you know now we have that, and we use that in some of our some of our uh, marketing collateral because you know really like that's there's never going to be any autonomy, even like level three autonomy if there's if you always have to have a human come in and and you know clean these systems and and ADAS you know that is actually an ADAS system that he was driving. This was not any level of autonomy that he was driving. So and then the other thing about. Um, you know, about perception stacks as far as how we're really relevant today, partly for, you know, ADAS, of course, and then where we need to go with autonomous vehicle hardware stack development. So as any technology evolves, anyone who's familiar with the tech space knows, regardless of vertical, you always develop the vertical stacks first. So in and kind of the underlying operating systems first. So 
in hardware perception, you've got cameras, you've got sensors, you've got LIDAR as one of the main sensors that's important for autonomous vehicles. You have the underlying um, you know, operating system that these all drive into that do the actual decision-making. You know, people are thinking a lot about machine learning and AI and how can we uh, take in this data and make really robust, um, you know, trustworthy decisions? How can we create learning systems to make sure that these systems are, are thinking of all the random edge cases? Those are all very important technologies to develop, but it has very much in, for the last few years been focused on developing primarily these vertical technologies. And what's, what is also true about technologies as they evolve is when they get to a certain point of evolution, what you'll start seeing in, in technology uh, coming into the different markets is this horizontal play. You'll see these new types of technologies entering where they're actually agnostic as to the vertical stack. So in our case, we are that. We are horizontally enabling technology. We actually don't care which camera or you know sensor or you know specific LiDAR unit wins out there, which one has the most market share we actually come in and enable all of them by keeping that top end of the data funnel physically clean so it can take in enough data to actually build better reliability and safety in the system. And, and that's something that I think is really important when you look at advanced driver assistance systems versus autonomous vehicle development. The, the car manufacturers, the ones that we have uh, ongoing conversations with they have this great challenge where they're making these really big bets on autonomous vehicles. They believe in that autonomous vehicle future. They have huge R&D efforts that are dedicated to creating these full stack vehicles in pilot. You see a lot of full stack startups up there, out there too that are trying to create vehicles for different types of use cases. Um, but, but the problem is you, you also have, in the case of the car OEMs, you also have this fully, you know, functioning, existing business that's used to selling, you know, millions of vehicles worldwide a year. And, and you have, and those are like these standard conventional vehicles, maybe with some level of ADAS on them or very early stages of autonomy on them. But there's this whole messy middle that, and they, that's a phrase that's used a lot in, in the industry now is this messy middle of how do you transition from that standard conventional vehicle platform to an autonomous vehicle platform and keep your business healthy and scaling to the opportunity along the way. And that's, I think, what's, what's so great about what we're bringing to market is we actually, whether it's the Civatherm, you know, that core component that we have in the market today, that's very much about driver perception enablement. We actually clean windshields from different, uh, um, you know, climate conditions that that include driver visibility there or backup cameras. And then we have the system in the development, the in development that has to do with enabling advanced driver assistance systems and all the hardware perception stacks there. And then we have a more, even more robust version of that that has to do with the, enabling the autonomous vehicle hardware perception stacks. And it doesn't, we, I think personally that, that eventually the OEMs are gonna to get to the point where they've done enough in pilot and enough in kind of a soft launch of autonomous vehicles that they can see that scalability right around the corner. And they're gonna to have to figure out a way to connect their business model today to that 
business model in the future. You know, usually uh, what you see with market predictions are that it probably won't be till somewhere around 2035, give or take five years, where you'll see the majority of vehicles being sold as some level, like level three plus of autonomous vehicle. And the way that those vehicles are going to be built and the way that they have to operate is in some ways just fundamentally different from the vehicles that are out there on the dealership lots today, which is where the OEMs have built their existing business. And I think what's great about us is we're trying to provide solutions, you know, at every single step along the way and help connect the dots there between that conventional and advanced driver, driver assistance system, you know, uh, ecosystem right now. And how do we actually get to autonomous in the future? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, the thing that really excited me when when we were talking about, uh, you know, jumping in and, and supporting your vision was the fact that uh, there is a huge opportunity now. And then mm -hmm. as we continue to progress uh, and automotive continues to evolve and innovate, the opportunity for what you're doing only grows and becomes more important. But, right. you know, thinking about today, uh, you know, the SivaTherm product is actually out and and deployed up in new york state and what we yeah. realized is that um the your your customers up there it, it is super impactful for them on a safety and productivity basis um and you're also able to as you mentioned the the horizontal importance of your product is both commercial and consumer it is uh you know current technologies as well as future technologies um yes Leaning into that future technologies for a moment, um, you actually made a great point when we spoke previously about how a lot of the current developments around autonomy are occurring in really fair weather climates. And yeah. if we're thinking about safety, things like SEBA have to exist or else we will never get to this amazing dream of autonomous across right. the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, so what you're getting at there is a phrase that we call in-house climate fencing. And people who uh, you know work in autonomous vehicle technology, the phrase geofencing is very common. So when you have Tesla, for example, out there, or any one of the full stack startups out there launching their vehicles, you know, out on actual roads. Um, with pedestrians and trying to figure out what traffic patterns are, um, you see two things. First of all, they, they launch them in places that are geofenced, which means that they have some very, very uh, high level, high quantity and quality of data where they know what the streets look like. This, these are the routes of the streets. These are the typical uh, traffic flows. You know, here's the timing of the traffic signals, you, ha you have an understanding of what pedestrian flow looks like. So they're geographically fenced on very predictable routes. And then the other thing is they launch them typically in San Francisco, which, you know, has a little bit of rain and a lot of fog and some <laughs> hills. But other than that, it's actually a very dry climate. Like this is a problem with, with, uh, with that region in general as they suffer from drought. Um, they don't. They don't have the same kind of uh, precipitation issues as uh, as many other regions in the world do, and certainly the United States too. And then the other place that these uh, full stack uh, endeavors tend to launch is Arizona, right? And well, it's it's great that Arizona has provided a very friendly environment for 
autonomous vehicle full stack teams to come in and deploy. But it's also, again, very dry. It's a desert, right? So there's not a lot of precipitation. There aren't many bugs. So it's, you know, it's kind of a nice clean slate to operate just solely with geofencing. But what we talk about at SIVA is that the perception stack actually starts with climate fencing, with the climate fence. So climate fencing is where you launch your vehicle in these, you know, very dry, um, not very challenging environments because your system cannot operate when it gets these random edge cases, which could be cold climate. It could be snow or frost or freezing rain. It can also be wet climate, you know, a lot of bugs or mud, um, you know, even in the south, even when it's not cold and it's not very wet, you can get these bug hatches. I know even northern Michigan, like we would go camping in northern Michigan and there would be times in the summer where you just you know, you're driving up there to the cabin and there's just like this swarm of who knows what <laughs> tiny little insect that you just plow through and you have to start hitting your yep. washer fluid just to see. Right. So so that's climate fencing. Um, and that that uh, is something that the uh, the car manufacturers, they're simply not going to start manufacturing a lot of these autonomous vehicles until they can prove that they're scalable and they can deal with all of the edge cases. And one of the big drivers of the edge cases is this climate fencing challenge. And we know because of the teams that we've talked to, um, the, the OEMs that we hope will eventually become our customers, they have given us just enough of a peek under the hood of what their deployment calendar is going to look like in different regions of, of uh, North America where climate fencing isn't a big deal right now, but they've done just enough testing and challenging environments to know that this is going to be a huge problem for them. And they have this very aggressive, you know, they're putting a lot of money into R&D. They really want to see a return on this investment that they're making. And they have this very aggressive rollout schedule over the next couple of years where they want to be piloting in much more challenging places like Boston, like New York, like Detroit, like Chicago, right? Um, and they, they need to be able to go into those environments and say, we can deal with the edge cases better. And going back to the New York State Department of Transportation, you mentioned that as one of our first customers. That was the, the phone call where, where my dad, you know, suddenly our like weekly call of supporting each other, you know, don't give up on your entrepreneurial dreams suddenly became a, an inflection point that I saw where this, uh, this New York State Department of Transportation snowplow fleet, this is a, a couple thousand vehicle fleet that they run. And they have this real issue with uptime where, you know, upstate New York is particularly bad or anywhere along the coast. If a blizzard hits, you know, it's like the postman, like they have to be out there 10, 12, 16 hour shifts where these vehicles are running all the time trying to keep transportation flowing in some way so that so that people on the roads can be safe and that the economy doesn't come to a to a stop and and you know that's just that's like such an extreme example of climate fencing but you just you take that you know imagine autonomous vehicles in in new york city when a blizzard hits and you know those cars are, aren't going to be going anywhere so so yeah so we have this product that's relevant today um, and is a great, uh, great kind of extreme test case. But that fleet consumption of, of mobility, of transportation, that's predictive of what autonomous vehicle 
consumption is going to look like in the future. That's what we love actually about being in the commercial space. And one of the reasons why we were so excited to get to know you, Santosh, and, and uh, Dynamo as a whole, the, the uh, know-how that you have in the transportation industry and in the commercial vehicle space is, you know, to us, what's so cool about commercial vehicles is they, they are all highly customized. You know, they all have specific use cases in mind. Uh, uptime, the ability to move uh, regardless of condition, regardless of climate fencing is, is of critical importance to the commercial vehicle industry. Um, you know, you mm -hmm. always have to be able to move, whether it's people or goods, you know, you have to have these vehicles uh, moving on the road as much as possible. Otherwise, you can't actually monetize them, right? The, there's no revenue opportunity. And we, we believe, um, and really everyone in autonomous, who is working in the autonomous space, they see mobility consumption shifting away from personal vehicles to more uh, passenger vehicles. So it's not so much that you own a car or two, it's that you have an app on your phone and you're mm -hmm. calling up that service you know, and, and we're going to see this change, we believe, where, where, you know, probably in 30 years or so, you know, our grandkids are going to look at owning a car and say, gosh, that's like just as charming as owning a horse, right? Right. <laughs> it's not, you know, like, it's, that's a cool thing. Let's go, let's go ride on the racetrack for a weekend activity. You know, that'll be fun to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that you know commercial vehicle space is like a very early indicator of what that future will look like. Yes, totally agree, and 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 definitely am preparing myself to feel uh, very antiquated uh, when <laughs> my grandkids make that statement. It, yeah, it, it's coming. It's uh, inevitable for sure. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, so, so you're you're building this business in enabling uh, autonomy and making it um, a reality. But what other enabling technologies might we need to start thinking about in order to actually um, empower and and allow these OEMs to go about de-risking the edge cases and yeah. you know, making the Chevy Bolt a, a reality or or the Ford equivalent a reality. Yeah, yeah. So, so the space that I'm really interested in that we don't touch at all. I just think it's interesting to to watch uh, watch the the startups in this space start gaining traction. Is another what I think of as horizontally enabling technology, where they're creating learning platforms for autonomous vehicles. So this is where, you know, if you come from a software background, you talk about developing testing tools to run your your software programs through to make sure that they're they're robust, they're scalable, they're secure, you know, they're fully reliable. You have you know the five nines of you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent uptime actually for autonomous vehicles. It's probably going to need to be closer to seven seven nines than than five. Mm -hmm. It'll have to be maybe bigger than that for people to feel feel like it's better than the cars on the road today. Um, but these companies that are developing uh, learning systems so that you can take your, your autonomous vehicle operating system and run it through these learning systems in order to figure out all of the, you know, all the different possible edge cases and, and really make sure that it's always going to operate you, the way you expect it to operate, regardless of how many times the system goes through that same type of you know data in and then have to push you know a decision out 
they say that autonomous vehicles, uh, in order to be fully reliable and safe, you know, you probably need to run an autonomous vehicle virtually through a trillion miles of practice driving, like you'd need to have the system be that secure. And just in comparison, when uh, the original equipment manufacturers of of personal vehicles that we think of today, you know, we buy a car today and, and that's probably gone through, like all the components there have probably gone through hundreds of thousands of miles of testing. That's one of the, the final stages before they, you know, uh, hit green light go on, let's go ahead and drop these on, on dealer lots or, or offer them to, uh, you know, to commercial buyers is they need to know that the components have gone through rigorous phys- physical testing. But when you put autonomous vehicles on there, it's, it's just dramatically more where they feel like, okay, if there's a human riding in this, or there's a human riding behind this, if it's the case of a self-driving truck or something. Um, and yeah. to know that it's going to be really reliable. It's just this huge amount of data that has never had to be uh, pro- you know, created, much less processed before. And, and the, the startups that are doing this, I think, are, are really onto, a, again, a cool, very you know, horizontally enabling how do we, regardless of which system we're out there helping test, how do we make sure that these systems are going to be really robust and safe because it's you know it's it's our families right it's people who are going to be on the road in or behind or in front of these vehicles and we just we need to know that it that they're going to be okay so that's right yeah that to me is is pretty cool it it's uh an all hands on deck effort to make sure that yeah you know we, we we build the technology but we're also building it in such a fashion that it's amazingly safe um, right. for society for sure um, yeah so you know we've, we've we've covered a lot here and it's been great because you've also uh you know conveyed pearls of wisdom around different ways to think about autonomy your perspectives on where we are where we're going um and you're you're building this business that's uh non-traditional in the sense that it's not traditional software engineering as you mentioned it's uh, it draws on several different engineering disciplines to actually pull together. But the one thing that we hit on when we opened and I'd like to hit on as we close here is you're also, uh, you know, building a company between Seattle and, and Detroit. How's that mm-hmm. important to what you're doing? Uh, you know, what are the advantages? Should founders be thinking about that? How should also stakeholders that we deal with every day think about that? Because different geographies also lend different advantages. Uh, as we right. move forward in this world. Yeah, right. So so we believe, uh, you know, Siva as a company believes that for a startup to come in and play effectively with the car OEMs as customers and then also be able to compete against the other, you know, very established tier one suppliers that are, you know, tens of billions of dollars in size with you know, huge R and D budgets. How can we compete against them? And we believe that there there are really two ways that we need to nail it. Number one, we need to understand how the OEMs actually think and you know work. Like, what what is their cadence of decision making, and what are their expectations for a supplier? We think of ourselves as a tier one supplier, 
and, which means that we sell directly to the, the car and truck manufacturers. There's no middleman in right now in our current business model. Um, so we have to play with that, you know, that kind of uh, sophistication. And then the other thing that we need to be able to do is just move a lot faster than a tier one. We fortunately, because we're such a small organization, we can try out a lot of things. We can do that at a very low cost and we can aggressively throw away the stuff that just doesn't work. We're just constantly in this like, you know, pivot, iterate, try it out, pivot, iterate, try it out mode. And I think we're very good at that. And then, you know, myself, I mentioned before that in a previous life, I worked in technical recruiting at Microsoft. I really think that every company, whether it's big or small, you're only as good as the people around you. And I'm very, I'm very much a, you know, proponent of if you have to bring right people with a really diverse skill set. And uh, we talk a lot in, in the startup world in general about being disruptive and it, it can feel really corny how many times you hear people say that. But when I, when I, you know, when I started building this company, what I really wanted to do was disrupt the company from within. So like my dad and I are a great example of that. You know, I come from a software background, a, a more consumer oriented background, business background. My dad is, you know, a big enterprise automotive engineering and, and we're very much each other's, yin and yang we balance each other but it would be very easy to not balance each other and what we've done is every person that i've brought on since then we've we've had this trade-off where i've taken one person who you know has a deep automotive engineering background they understand how tier one suppliers work um, they know how uh, car oems think and truck oems think and then i would hire somebody who comes from you know, completely the opposite end, more tech focused, you know, a lot of startup experience. Um, uh, so we actually say in our team that we have the uh, mid Midwest muscle, West Coast hustle within our teams. And really you see everyone having a lot of that hustle and muscle together. But, but yeah, half of my team um, has some kind of uh, OEM and or tier one experience. And then the other half the team just is we're like plucked them straight out of the startup world and that's really great you know being being an automotive startup that's not based in detroit and that's not based in the bay area while we still have we have boots on the ground in detroit our headquarters are not there and we are down in the bay area very frequently but we don't actually have people there we're able to be just just a step away and and uh you know, just be just, just just far enough removed where we can focus on you know the opportunities as as we see them presenting themselves without without too many preconceptions about how things need to operate and you know um, you know what's the traditional way of doing things whether it's the startup world which honestly has a lot of traditions in their own right or the automotive world like how can we sort of pull the best from both worlds and and try to create a company that's fluent in either environment and yet something unique in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And, and it's been awesome to have a front row seat as, as you've built uh, this company. And, and I think one that will be extremely important and, and endure as we see these huge shifts. But really, really awesome to have you uh, with us today, Diane. I appreciate the time. And uh, I think uh, everybody uh, has learned a lot and um, can uh, be more informed uh, in conversations uh, in and around autonomy. Thanks. Sure, thank you, Santosh. I appreciate the opportunity. As always, it was great spending time talking with you. Take, take care, thank you. Yep, cheers.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.